Howdy, howdy, folks. I am Father Fred Gatchett, and you are tuned into the Double Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, 101.7 KJDM Lindsberg Salina, 105.7 KMDG Hayes, and where it all started, our flagship station, 88.1 KVDM Hayes. And here on the Double Edged Sword program, as always, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And I suppose, for lack of a better name, I'm going to call this installment of Double-Edged Sword Faith, Hope, and Money. And, of course, whenever you mention money, that grabs people's attention. But what I want to do on this installment of the program is when we talk about things like faith and hope, you know, if you're, if you're talking to someone, you go, well, those are nice churchy-sounding words, and, and, you know, faith is important, and we should have hope, and so on and so forth. But... People really probably on the surface are not going to take those words very seriously. And the purpose of this particular program is to show just how absurd that is compared to other things that people have true faith and hope in and that we use this stuff every day called money. And, um, and we're going to see just what really is real here and what really is, you know, just kind of like, you know, something that's too soft, you know, kind of like trying to hang jello on a nail. Again, a lot of people will go, well, you know, faith and hope, those are, those are nice sounding words, but show me the video. You know, you tell me I have to have faith. You know, I need facts and data. And in, in our day and age, unfortunately, for most people, facts and data means the video I can watch on my phone. And if I can't see the video on that little handheld screen that I have, then whatever you're talking about, it might be nice. It might make you feel good, but it's not really real. And I'm going to show how that thinking, you know, how any, anyone that says that um, the next time they spend a dollar, you know, how they've just contradicted themselves and just how, how um, totally absurd that thinking is. So, again, faith, hope and money. Let's first ta start talking about money. We're going to talk about money in the first part of the program. We're going to talk about faith and hope in the second part after the break. So, first of all, when we talk about wealth or we talk about money, um, the first thing to understand is the difference between token and real wealth. Real wealth is something you can actually use. Real wealth is a pair of shoes, a gallon of gasoline, a house, a car, or a refrigerator, a sweater, you know, a wristwatch. That's real wealth, okay? Token wealth is money. Token wealth is silver, gold, stocks, bonds, cash, and so on. Now, the, the, those two, the, the distinction between the two is very important. Because, and the, the main um, distinction between the two is that real wealth has an automatic stop mechanism on it. All right? So, for example, gasoline is real wealth. But there's a limit to how much gasoline I can use. And that's what will fit in my tank. You know, even if I, you know, I might have a, an extra, you know, container, maybe I, I go to the gas station and I fill the tank in my car up with gasoline and I got my gas can there that I'm going to fill up with gas to bring home to dump into the mower or something like that. The bottom line is, is that eventually my containers for gasoline fill up. And so there's an automatic stop mechanism on that that I can only carry as much gas as I have storage capacity for. And I have to stop. I can't just keep on buying gasoline in, you know, infinitely indefinitely. Or with food. You know, that's the most obvious one. You know, Thanksgiving dinner, you can only eat so much and you can't eat another bite. 
or with the junk in your closet. You know, the closet only holds so much, so many clothes and so many pairs of shoes. And eventually you're looking at it and going, man, some of this stuff has to go to goodwill. There's just no more room in this closet. Or the garage, you know, there's, there's so much junk in the garage, you know, the, I'm on my, my third, you know, lawn trimmer, you know, edger or something like that. And the other two don't work, but I kept them anyway. And sooner or later, you know, I have to kind of go through and clean the junk out of the garage because just no more will fit. So again, you, a lot with, with, with um, real wealth, there's a stop mechanism. You know, you can only wear one pair of shoes at a time you know, and so on. So with real wealth, there's a stop mechanism. With token wealth, there is no automatic stop mechanism. You might notice no one has ever said, no one will ever say, gosh, my stock portfolio is just too valuable. I just have too much money in the bank. Um, the only reason someone might say that is they go, well, I got too much cash in the bank. What I need to do is take some of it and put it into my stocks so I can make more money with it. But the bottom line is, is that no one's ever going to say they have too much token wealth. And another interesting thing that goes along with that is, you know, typically the vicious things that get tied together are money, sex, and power. And the reason why those things all go together is because none of those have automatic stop mechanisms on them. We've already de demonstrated there's no one ever says I've had, you know, I've got too much money. No one ever says I have too much power. You know, you look at the politicians, you look at even people just looking for social status within their own little circle of friends. No one ever says, well, I've, I've amassed enough. I have enough power. I have enough influence. I have enough, you know, whatever. They don't do that. You know, we're always looking for more. Sexual gratification is the same way. And that's why those things all kind of get lumped together. And so when we're talking about token wealth, one of the important things to understand about it is that there is no natural or no automatic stop mechanism for it. And I mean, that's what makes things like greed possible. And that's why St. Paul says the love of money is the root of all evil. St. Paul doesn't say money is the root of all evil. Money is just, it just is. I mean, a $100 bill is just a $100 bill. It's not neither good or evil. It just sits there. It's the love of the $100 bill. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil that causes people to destroy themselves. Because again, going back to the notion that there is no automatic stop mechanism on token wealth. So the thing is, is that really token wealth, the only thing token wealth is really good for is the fact that it can be traded in for real wealth. You know, a $20 bill sitting there on, on your, in your wallet or sitting on your, on your tabletop is really of no intrinsic value whatsoever. The $20 bill is only good for the fact that it can buy you a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter. I think you can still get that for 20 bucks these days. And so then if you're hungry, you can take your token wealth and you can go buy some real wealth with it. You can go, you know, buy some food or you can take your token wealth and you can go buy some gas for your car or you can buy, take your token wealth and buy some real wealth. You can buy some clothes, you know, to keep you warm or whatever the case might be. And so again, you know, we see that, that really token wealth is only good for the fact that it can be traded in for real wealth somewhere along the line. Now, the thing is, is along the way, you know, if you go to primitive cultures, you go to, or earlier cultures, you know, the earlier cultures of like medieval Europe, you know, and things like that, you had the barter system. And so, you know, you might envision, you know, the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. And I just kind of use those as my, as my example. But, you know, you could imagine, you know, the cobbler, you know, the guy that makes shoes and the guy who makes clothes and you know, the, the baker, you know, someone that makes bread or, you know, the, you know, so on. 
but let's just stick with the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. And so maybe, you know, the butcher goes up to the baker and says, hey, you know, my, my family and I need a couple of loaves of bread. And the baker says, well, you came to the right place because my family and I need some meat. Okay, well, let's affect a trade here. You know, and then they, they work out among themselves, you know, how much, you know, meat it's going to take to get the two loaves of bread or how much bread, you know, so much meat will get them or whatever. And they barter between the two of them. They come to a mutually agreeable solution or a mutually agreeable agreement. And then, you know, the butcher trades the baker for the meat for the bread and everybody goes away happy. Or the baker goes up to the candlestick maker and says, hey, my, my shop, my house is getting kind of dark. I need some candles. And the candlestick maker says, okay, well, you know, my family and I are kind of hungry for some bread. You know, how many loaves of bread are you willing to give me for these, you know, five candlesticks that I just made or whatever? And so they would barter back and forth. That's all pretty much pretty simple. I think anybody can understand that. But the problem is barter does not always work. Okay, why? Well, what if the candlestick maker goes up to the baker and says, hey, I need some bread. And um, how many candlesticks? And the baker says, I don't need any candlesticks. The days are getting longer. It's, you know, during the wintertime, I was using a lot more candlesticks. But now it's summer. The days are getting longer. And in fact, I still have three candlesticks left over from the last time that we traded candlesticks for bread. So I really don't need any candlesticks right now. Well, then what happens? The candlestick maker just has to go hungry. You know, that's not going to work. And so what do they do? You know, well, if you don't have a means of exchange, the candlestick maker is just out of luck, you know. He may go to the butcher and the same thing, you know, hey, I'd like to trade you some candlesticks for some meat. And the butcher says, I still have candlesticks from our last trade. I don't need any more candlesticks right now, so have a nice day. Well, the candlestick maker now has no meat either, you know, and so this is the way it could work with anything. You know, maybe the, you know, the cobbler, you know, the, the guy that makes shoes, you know, goes up to the butcher and says, hey, my family and I need some meat. And the butcher says, well, you know, the last pair of shoes you, that, you, that we traded meat for, look at them. They're in great shape. I don't need any more shoes right now. My family doesn't need any shoes right now. So I'm not going to trade you meat for something I don't need. And so then, you know, the cobbler has to go away hungry because, you know, the, the butcher doesn't need any shoes right now. So what does he do? Okay. So then, since barter does not always work, so then what do we do? We go to things like gold and silver. And so the candlestick maker goes up to the baker and says, I would like some bread. And the baker says, I don't need any more candlesticks. And so the candlestick maker produces a silver coin. And he says, well, I have, I have this silver. And um, basically, you know, silver is worth something for two reasons. It's kind of rare, not as rare as gold, but it's kind of rare and it's pretty. And the baker looks at the silver and says, hey, that's kind of pretty. I kind of like that. And so, he, so the baker tells the candlestick maker, it's like, okay, you know, for that silver coin, I'll trade you two loaves of bread. And maybe the candlestick maker says, yeah, out of your mind, this candlestick, I mean, this, this silver coin's worth five loaves of bread. And the baker says, no, nah, maybe three. And the candlestick maker says, okay, I'll trade you three loaves of bread for my silver coin. And so then they trade and money is born, okay? And so, um, you know, the, the, the nice thing about having a, a medium of exchange like gold or silver or you know, even copper coins, you know, lesser value coins, is that if you need something and the person that has what you need does not need what you have to trade, the, you know, the baker doesn't need any meat today, well then, you know, the butcher is going to go without bread. But the butcher comes up to the baker and says, well, I've got this gold coin. And in fact, you know, my family and I are having a big family celebration and I need, you know, probably about 30 loaves of bread. 
And um, and so the, the the baker says, okay, well, for your gold coin, I'll trade you 30 loaves of bread. And so then, you know, then we have money. But notice that um, the, the money, having gold and silver money, it's it's almost like the $20 bill. And, you know, you can't eat gold and silver. You can't really do much with them other than, other than admire them for their beauty. And so if you have this, you know, this pretty silver coin or this pretty gold coin, it's, it feels heavy in your hand and you feel like you have something of value. And so, but at least you have something that's of some value as opposed to a piece of paper. Okay, now, so the thing is, is that, you know, since barter doesn't always work, having, you know, coins of gold and silver and copper and whatever, you know, have it as a medium exchange that everyone will accept, that makes commerce that much, you know, more easy to, to conduct. Then the interesting thing that happened over the years, I read about this a while back, if you go back to ancient Egypt, the problem with having true money with having like coins of gold and silver is that you can lose it or it can be stolen. You know, that's one of the nice things about the money system that we have now is that, you know, when my money is sitting in the bank in the form that we will talk about here in a little bit in the second part of the program, but my money is sitting in the bank, it's not likely to get stolen. I mean, you know, someone can hack my account on the internet, you know, on the computer or whatever, but there's, you know, there's, there's ways to protect it. Back when you had silver or gold coins, you know, you would keep those in your house, you know, stored away in some box somewhere or something. And you just hope to heck that no one breaks into your house and gets your coins and steals them. Because if they take them, you're, you're out of luck. And it's kind of like back in the, in the days of the Old West, you know, at the, the bank, the bank had real money on the premises. The bank would have real gold and silver coins in, you know, in the vault. And if the bank robbers came in and took the gold and silver coins, then the depositors were out of luck. You know, the money that they had deposited with the bank was, was gone, and they'd be out of luck. Well, what happened in ancient Egypt is people would go to, to the local temple because they knew that the, that the religious leaders, that they would, keep, they would keep their gold in a vault in some place that was secure. And by keeping their gold in some place in silver and valuable things, maybe the valuable things they would use for worship and so on, by keeping those things in a, in a secure place, People kind of came to know, they'd say, well, over at the temple, they keep their precious objects and so forth in this strong room and it's guarded and everything. And so some guy goes over to the the temple priest or whatever he is and says, hey, I've got these 20 gold coins here. Can you keep them for me? And so, you know, the guy would say, yeah, maybe charge him a little bit of a fee to keep them. And then he would write the guy a receipt. And he would, you know, so then the guy would say, you know, I so-and-so, you know, have, you know, 20 gold coins that weigh this much, you know, that are kept for me in the vault of the, the temple of Osiris or whatever the heck in Egypt, or in the temple of Apis or whoever their little Egyptian god was. And so then now this guy goes home with this piece of paper, um, which is a little bit better because at least the gold coins are someplace safe. Now, sometime later... Maybe the guy goes out and he's, he wants to buy a piece of land or he, you know, he's going to make a purchase that's, that's pretty expensive. And maybe it costs 20 pieces of gold, like what he has on deposit in the temple treasury. And so he goes up and he's talking with this guy and the guy says, well, I want, you know, 35 pieces of gold. And the guy says, nah, I'll give you 10. They haggle, they barter back and forth and they settle on 20 pieces of gold. So this guy goes, okay, well, it just so happens I've got 20 pieces of gold on deposit with, you know, over in the temple. And in fact, here's my temple receipt. Will you take that in payment? And the guy goes, well, yeah. 
And so the guy would give this guy his temple receipt for his for his 20 pieces of gold. And then the guy that you know, he bought the land from, now who owns the, the, the receipt for the 20 pieces of gold, he can go to the temple and say, I need three of those pieces of gold. Okay, so the temple priest takes out three pieces of gold, writes him in a receipt for 17 pieces of gold, all right? So the deal is, is that whenever that happened, the first time somebody traded a paper receipt that was backed up by gold or silver somehow, now you've got paper money floating around, okay? So, you know, we can kind of see how, you know, how that, you know, made that, made that transition there. So the deal is, is, you know, we go from bartering, we go from trading real wealth for real wealth. We go from trading, you know, bread for meat and meat for candlesticks and candlesticks for bread, you know, and so on. Then, you know, we realize that sometimes the barter system doesn't work, especially if what I have to barter with, you know, people don't need right now or people don't want right now. And so, you know, we need to have some kind of a medium of exchange. And so, you know, we have money, you know, and the, the, the earliest money was basically gold and silver coins, you know, copper coins and maybe bronze coins and so on. But they were worth something because of the weight of the precious metal that they were. And so um, we had that in the United States up until 1971. So the thing is, is that, you know, if, if you look at old American currency, if you can, you can look it up on the internet, just go to the internet and type in silver, silver certificate or gold certificate. And you'll look and t click on the images and stuff and images of money will come up. And it looks a lot like the money that we have now. It'll have a picture of George Washington or William McKinley or something on it and everything. But if you read the wording on the bill very carefully, up on the top, it will like on, on a silver certificate, it'll say, it'll say on the top in small letters, silver certificate. And then it will say, this certifies that there is in the treasury of, and then in big scrolly letters, the United States of America, there is, then it'll say $1 in silver payable to the bearer on demand. Or it will say, this is to certify that in the treasury of the United States of America, there is one silver dollar payable to the bearer on demand. Or the gold certificates will say, this is to certify that in the treasury of the United States, there is $20 in gold coin payable to the bearer on demand. And so the idea was kind of the same thing as the ancient Egyptians. The, the government would keep the precious metals in a vault, but someone, you could go to the bank and you could, if you had say five $20 bills in your pocket, and you go up and you say, okay, Mr. Bank, I'm giving you this paper and I want real money. You know, I want five $20 gold pieces, or I want 50 $10 gold pieces, you know? And so then you would, so you would go into the bank with this paper, but you would walk out of the bank with real money. You would walk out of the bank with gold in your hand. Or if you had a source certificate, they, they would, I've seen source certificates issued in one, five, and $10 denominations. And so if you go in with a $10 silver certificate and it says on the top, this is a certified in the United States of America, there is, you know, 10 silver dollars or $10 in silver payable to the bearer on demand. And so you go into the bank and you pull out the $10 bill and you say, I want my 10 silver dollars, please. I want real money. And the bank will give you 10 silver dollars and you walk out with heavy silver in your hand. Okay. So the idea was back in those days, people would honor you know, a paper $10 bill, a paper $20 bill, a paper $1 bill, because they knew that when, we're, when push came to shove, they could take these paper bills to the bank and trade them in for real money. They could trade them in for, you know, gold or silver or whatever. 
All right. Um, now, the thing is, is that um, during the Great Depression, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, knew that people out of fear were going to be taking all their paper and paper money and going to the bank and saying, give me gold, give me silver, give me gold, give me silver. And so he made it illegal for Americans to own gold or silver. And so all the um, you know, Americans had to bring their gold and silver back, turn it into the government where they were paid a certain amount for the face value of the coins. And then most of them were melted down into gold bricks and stored at Fort Knox, okay? But even during that time though, the money was still backed up by precious metals. Now in 1971, President Nixon took us off of the gold standard. And what that means now is, is that if you get a, if you just look at it, reach in your wallet and pull out whatever denomination of bill you have, whether it's a $1 bill, a 20, a 50, a hundred, whatever. And all it says on it is it just says United States of America, $5. And then there's the little thing on the side says, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. So in other words, a, a, a contemporary $20 bill is worth $20 for two reasons. One, because the government says so. The government says, you know, trust us, it's good. And people will take it. You know, the fact that you can go to the gas station and trade your $20 bill in for $20 worth of gasoline and the gas station guy will take it. Well, why does he take it? Because the gas station guy knows that he can take his, you know, the, the, the difference between the cost of his gasoline and what he sells it for, and he can take some of that and he can use it, for example, to pay his employees with. And the employees then will get the check from their boss, take it down to the bank and cash it and get more $20 bills that, you know, and they're happy to get them. Because, and so the, the, the employee is saying, I trust this $20 bill is good. In fact, I trust it so much that I will trade my time for it working, right? So then they'll go and then they'll trade their however many hours a week in for their money. Then they go get their money and then they get their check cash and they go and buy their groceries and buy a new pair of shoes or whatever it is they need. And so the whole thing is, is, you know, right now the money that we have is good only because the government says it's good and because people accept the fact that the government says it's good. It's not backed up by anything. Um, in a certain sense, I suppose you could say that an American $20 bill is like a stock certificate, you know, because if you have a stock certificate in, in say, Amazon, you know, what you have, if you say, if you have $10,000 worth of stock in Amazon, what you have is $10,000 worth of Amazon's assets. You know, you have some of, you know, you have a share in the trucks you see going up and down the highway that say prime on the side of them. You have a share in the distribution centers where they fill out the orders and send them out and so on. You know, you, you own a little piece of the company. Well, if you have an American $50 bill, you own a piece of the American economy. It's the American economy that kind of backs it up. And, you know, the whole world's willing to accept that, you know, because, you know, you look at the fact that the, you know, the dollar, at least for now, is, is the, the, the reserve currency for the whole world. Um, if you're in Italy, for example, and you want to buy oil, you have to change your Italian money or your, your, your euros into dollars and then you buy your oil with dollars. Or if you live in, in, in Taiwan and you want to buy gold, you have to turn your Taiwanese dollars into American dollars, and then you buy your gold with the American dollars. And so, you know, the, the whole thing is we have what, what's now called fiat currency. 
And um, fiat just meaning let it be. You know, it is not because it's backed up by gold or silver. Just it, it's it's good because the government says it's good and people believe the government. And so people will accept, you know, the American greenback as payment for, for goods and services and so on. Now, the thing of it is, you can take it one step further than that in that, you know, nowadays, you, you know, you can have a wallet full of money, a wallet full of bills, and you go to the to the grocery store and, you know, buy your milk and bread and butter and whatever. And, you know, the cashier says, okay, that'll be, you know, $38.44, you know, for your, you know, for your whatever it is you bought. And you give them two $20 bills, and they say, okay, well, you know, here's your, you know, your $1.56 back in change. And so, you know, here we are, we're, we're trading token wealth, paper bills for real wealth, for food, okay? And everybody's happy with that. And the, the fact that that paper is backed up by nothing, you know, people just accept it. Now, take it another step further. You go in with your debit card. And furthermore, assume that you have direct deposit of your paycheck. So you go to work, you work your 40 hours, say you're making, you know, $20 an hour. Well, 40 hours times $20, and that's $800, you know, less your taxes and so on. And so on payday, you know, whatever, you know, $537.14 is directly deposited into your checking account because that's what you arrange with the bank and with your employer. So now you've got that credit in your checking account. So then you go to the store to get your $38.44 worth of groceries and you pay for it with your debit card, okay? Well, there, what happens? An electronic signal gets transferred at the bank where you know the, 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 the electronic signal that got dumped from your employer to the bank, now part of the electronic signal gets dumped from the bank over to, to the grocery store and again, no money has changed hands at all. Certainly no gold or silver. But now not even paper money has changed hands. It's just little electronic blips going to and from and back and forth and so on. And so, you know, you kind of ask yourself, well, you know, how does this work? How can this go on like this when there's really nothing of any value that's buying the real wealth? Okay. And um, that's the whole point of, you know, the first part of the program here is to, um, is to examine just that. Because, um, the, again, the, the name of this program is Faith, Hope, and Money. And um, we talked about the money. And so in the second part of the program, we're talking about faith and hope and how these things all kind of fit together. So again, I am Father Fred Gatchett. I am the rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas. I am the vicar general for the, for the Diocese of Salina. I also teach religion part-time at Sacred Heart High School here in Salina to a great bunch of sophomores. We study the Old and New Testament together. And you are listening to um, the Divine Mercy Radio on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic Radio stations, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, 101.7 KJDM Lindsberg Salina, 105.7 KMDG Hayes, and our flagship station where it all started some years ago, 88.1 KVDM Hayes. And so everybody just sit tight for a second while we hear a few words from the folks um, that make the Double-Edged Sword program possible, and we will be right back. Hey 
Hey gang, we are back. I am Father Fred Gatchett. I am the rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas, and the vicar general for the Diocese of Salina, and I also teach religion part-time at Sacred Heart High School. I have um, a couple hours every day, Monday through Friday, where I teach sophomores, Old and New Testament, and you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, KJDM, and our, our radio station where it all started some years ago, our flagship station, 88.1 KBDM Hayes. And here on the Double-Edged Sword program, um, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture where we use these wonderful Catholic radio waves to be able to delve into things in a little bit more detail than we normally can, like in a Sunday sermon or something like that. And the name of this particular program I'm calling Faith, Hope, and Money, because I, I think what I'm, I'm going to try to show is that um, when people talk about things like faith and hope, they tend to think of those as just kind of being marshmallowy and kind of ethereal and smoky and not really having a whole lot of substance to them. And especially in our day and age, you know, people say, you know, I want to see the facts. I want to see the data. And really what people are saying is I want to see the video. You know, I want you to show me on your phone. You know, get your phone out and show me a video or show me on Facebook what faith looks like. Show me what hope is. And if I can't see it, if I can't touch it somehow, then it doesn't exist. And what I'm going to, what I'm trying to show by the, by our evolution of money is that that's just a, that's just a completely ridiculous mindset to have. Um, we talked, we started at the beginning of the program talking about token versus real wealth in that what we're talking about with token wealth is things like money, like cash, stocks, bonds, gold, silver, things like that. And real wealth is stuff you can really use. Real wealth is a pair of pants or a watch, a wristwatch or a house or, you know, something like, you know, a gallon of gas, you know, food, things like that. The thing is, is that we use token wealth ultimately to buy real wealth. You know, because again, a $20 bill, you can't eat it. You can't roll it up and stick it in your gas tank and go anywhere with it. You have to take that $20 bill and convert it into something that's worthwhile. And so you take the $20 to the grocery store and buy a few groceries, or you take the $20 to the gas station and get a few gallons of gas or something like that. And, um, you know, that we, we looked at, um, at the barter system, how before we had cash, you know, the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker or, or the tailor or the, the, the hatter, the guy that made hats or the cobbler, the guy that makes shoes or, you know, the people that grew food, you know, the people that had vegetables and so forth, they would all meet in a marketplace and they would trade their various goods among themselves. But that, that doesn't always work. Because what happen if what happens if you're the baker and um, and the butcher doesn't want any bread that day? Well, then you don't get you don't get any meat, do you? Or what happens if you're the candlestick maker and the baker doesn't need any candles? Well, then you don't get any bread that day. And so by having real money, you know things like gold and silver that everybody accepts, then even if you have something that's not in demand for a, a particular thing that you need. Again, if the, the, the butcher doesn't need any candlesticks that day, the candlestick maker can still go up to the butcher and say, well, here, I got this nifty gold coin here. You know, how much meat can I get for this gold coin? And, you know, while the butcher wouldn't trade meat for the candles, he would trade meat for the gold coin. And so, you know, we see back, you know, that that's how, you know, when we had real money. Well, then we went from real money to paper money. And um, paper money used to be backed up by gold and silver, but it's not anymore. Right now we have what's called fiat currency, 
where the government just prints money up, money up and says, trust us, it's good. And as long as people trust them that it's good, then it's worth something. If they don't, it's, it's not, all right? And then we take it one step further than that to electronic transfers, to where in our day and age, you know, people with their credit cards and debit cards and so on, you know, you can have your paycheck direct deposited into your account, in which case you never see any cash. And then you get on Amazon's website and you go, hey, you know, that thing they're selling on Amazon, that new whatever it is that I want, a, you know, a Milwaukee drill or, you know, you know, a pair of shoes or whatever. And so then I get on Amazon and go click, click, click. And the next thing you know, it's being delivered to my door. And no one, you know, no money ever changed hands. There was never any, no one ever, you know, opened up their wallet and pulled out a bunch of bills and, you know, paid the $68.19 for the pair of tennis shoes or whatever the case might have been. Just, it was all just done click, you know, on a, on a computer. And everybody just has faith, dare I use the word, that somehow or another it's all going to work out. Okay, now, so again, faith, hope, and money. We started off at the very beginning of the program saying how most people think that, you know, faith is just kind of a, you know, it, it's too foggy, it's too cloudy. Who can, who can take faith seriously because you can't look at it, you can't see it, you can't taste it, you can't measure it, you can't touch it. And so faith is, you know, it's one of those spiritual words. It's one of those churchy words. Well, again, my whole point with this program is to show how that line of thinking is absurd. And the reason why that thinking is absurd is this. Now think about this. This comes from the letter of the Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I'm going to read that again and pay very close attention to this. I know I talk fast, but I'm going to go talk nice and slow this time. You ready? Here we go. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and conviction of things not seen. All right? Think about that. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Now, you look how back in the old days, someone might have a little bag, and in the bag they might have, you know, one or two gold coins and four or five silver coins and six or eight copper coins, and they would go to the marketplace and they would, you know, say, you know, I need to, you know, I want to pick up whatever I'm going to pick up at the marketplace, a bolt of cloth or, you know, a, a, you know, a coat or, you know, whatever it is being made in the marketplace, you know, some food or whatever. And so I go to the, to the person that, that's selling coats and I see a coat that I like, you know, that, that this person in their shop spent hours putting together and, you know, spinning the yarn and weaving the cloth and sewing the cloth together into the coat. And this person says, okay, well, this coat costs, you know, two pounds, you know, in, in English money. Or let's just say, let's use American, American money. You know, someone says, you know, this, this coat costs, you know, $50. And I happen to have, you know, $80 in my, in my coin purse. You know, I've got, a, I've got some, you know, five or six silver dollars and a couple of $10 gold pieces and a $20 gold piece and what have you. And so I talk to the guy here and you say, you want $50 for that? Yeah, I'll give you thirty. Now I want I want forty-five. I'll give so maybe we settle we settle on forty-two dollars. Okay. So I reach in my coin purse and I give the man two twenty dollar gold pieces and two silver dollars. Okay. And now I have my forty-two dollar coat. Or, you know, back in the day, I would pull out two twenty dollar bills and two one dollar bills. And I would give them to the guy, and he would take it on the faith that he can take those paper dollars to the bank and trade them in for the two dollars gold pieces and the two silver dollars, okay? But now I go to Amazon and I see a coat that I want 
And I go, okay, you know, that coat's going to cost me $42. And, you know, my credit card account is, is on file with Amazon. And so I go, click, buy this item. Click, buy this now. Click, you know, thank you for shopping with Amazon. And so all of a sudden, you know, just, you know, electronic blips flying across the internet and I get my coat. Why? I get my coat because of my conviction of something that I cannot see. And Amazon accepts, you know, sends me the coat based on the conviction of something that they cannot see. They're not getting a gold or silver coin for this. They're getting a little electronic blips that eventually they're going to take these electronic blips and convert them, you know, and send them off to pay their employees or to pay the supplier of the coat, you know, and things like that. And so essentially, our whole money system is basically based on faith and hope. And so if someone sits there and tries to say that faith and hope, that anyone who believes in faith and hope is weak-minded because they can't really, they can't find the true facts and the true data and the, you know, and the truth, they can't find the video to show me on the internet that what they say is true. It's like, well, when was the last time you spent money? Because the last time you spent money in whatever form, if you spent, if you took your credit card out to the store and put it into the little chip reader, swiped it through the little thing, you know, some electronic blips within your credit card company were traded with some electronic blips at the grocery store or at Walmart or whatever. And, you know, you walked out with real wealth. You walked out with something that you can actually use. You know, you walked out of Walmart with a new hammer or a new wrench or a pair of shoes or some food or a gallon of milk, you know. And all that was based on something that you can't see, you know. And so when you look at the money system that we have now, it's not based on gold and silver, and it's becoming less and less based even on these pieces of paper that are only worth something because the government tells us that it's good and we believe that it's good. Now, it's not even that. Now our money system is just electronic blips flying around between our phones and credit cards and the internet and so on, and you can't even see it. And so our entire commerce system, our entire you know, system of banking and finance and so on is based on faith. It's not based on anything you can hold in your hand. It's not based on anything you can see. It's based on faith. And it's based on faith that these little electronic blips that fly all over the place, that someone's going to actually take these electronic blips seriously enough to let go of their gasoline that I want, or to let go of that pair of shoes that I want, or to let go of that car that I want, okay? Because again, you know, the, all this, all this, you know, the money and so forth is essentially just kind of created out of thin air. And it all, it's all based on people, you know, agreeing that this money created out of thin air is worth something and they're willing to take it. They're willing to take that token wealth in, in exchange for the real wealth that they have to sell. Look at hope. In the letter of the Romans, chapter 8, verses 24 to 25, St. Paul says, For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Okay? We hope for what we do not see. I have faith and I have hope that my money is good. I have faith and I have hope that if I go to the store and buy $46 worth of stuff and pull out a $50 bill, that that store owner is going to take my $50 bill in payment for the goodies that I'm taking out of his store. Or if I go, you know, online and buy whatever it is I'm buying online, you know, if I'm buying some toys for my children or if I'm buying, 
you know, parts for my car or whatever the case might be. You know, I buy this stuff and, you know, I am operating, everybody, I am operating and the person selling me this stuff is operating in faith and hope that whatever it is that's exchanged for this real wealth is actually good. And so, again, I think that if, if we hear, you know, people, de, you know, kind of denouncing or, you know, making fun of people of faith, you know, and you hear this a lot in the colleges and universities, you know, for all the time that um, I spent, the 19 years that I spent working at the Catholic Campus Center in Hayes, you know, the students were constantly coming in and saying, well, you know, my professors, and also this isn't just Fort Hayes State, this is everywhere, because when I was working in campus ministry, I had a lot of other contacts with other campus ministers and the college students would all get together every year for the Kansas Catholic College Student Convention and the SEEK conference and things like that. And you get all these students together and they're all saying the same thing. They're all saying such things as, well, you know, at the university they tell us that faith is, you know, if you believe something out of faith, well, it's because you're weak-minded. And so, you know, our job here at the university is to get you past that. Our job at the university is to get you past faith and to get you to seek out truth and facts and data. Well, you know, as far as it goes, that's okay. I think as long as far as if it's, you know, getting people to think through their positions to understand why they believe what they believe, that's all well and good. But the bottom line, though, anyone that just kind of dismisses faith or hope, it's like you better think about that the next time you pull your debit card out. You know, if anyone thinks that faith or hope is for the weak-minded, you better think about that the next time you accept, you know, a $20 bill in payment for something. You know, if you got some guy that's in, you know, he's sitting there in his garage and his neighbor comes over and says, you know, gee, Phil, that's quite the riding mower you got there. And Phil says, yeah, I'm thinking about selling it to buy a new one. And what do you want for it? Well, I take $500 for it. And so, you know, the guy writes Phil a check. Or the guy reaches into his pocket and says, you take cash? Hey, man, cash is king. And so the guy, you know, accepts five $100 bills for his mower. Well, what has he just done? He's made a huge act of faith that this mower, which can actually do something, you know, the mower, which is real wealth, you know, he's, he's, he's giving his mower away for these pieces of paper on the act of faith and the hope that when he passes the paper on to the next guy, when he wants to spend part of the, maybe he's going to take the, the $500 down to the lawnmower store and use it for the down payment on the new $4,000 riding mower he's looking at. Well, he's accepting those five $100 bills from his neighbor on faith and hope that the guy at the lawnmower store is going to accept those $500, you know, that those $500 bills for a down payment on the new mower. You know, it's entirely possible, and it could come to this eventually, if we don't quit spending money like we're drunk sailors, and by that I mean the government. You know, if, if the government keeps printing and spending so much money before too long, people are going to go, I don't know if I trust that money anymore. And so the guy goes down to the lawnmower store, and the guy goes, yep, you know, here, this mower is $4,500. He goes, okay, well, here I got $500 down payment. And the lawnmower store guy goes, nah, I don't take that paper money anymore. I don't know if it's any good. There's too much of that floating around. And so, you know, again, faith and hope in the value of the currency can and does go away. Sometimes that happens. You know, you know we've seen that with economic calamities around the world. But again, um, the whole point for this particular installment of Double-Edged Sword is to show how 
If anyone thinks that faith and hope are somehow a sign of mental weakness or a sign of intellectual weakness, then they better think long and hard about that the next time they engage in some kind of a financial exchange. Whether it's with cash, whether it's with a debit card or a credit card or writing a check or whatever, because every time we, we're in the, we're, we are in those um, exchanges, we're not exchanging something real. We're not changing you know, bread for meat. It isn't like I'm changing one form of real wealth for another form of real wealth like you do in a barter system. You know, like you go to the marketplace and, you know, someone trades a basket of vegetables for, you know, a, a, a couple of loaves of bread or something like that, where you're trading, trading real wealth for real wealth. We're trading token wealth for real wealth. And it requires faith and hope on the party of the buyer and the seller that that token wealth is worth something, especially in our day and age when that token wealth has no value to it because it's not backed up by gold or silver. So again, you know, the whole point is, is that anyone that thinks that, that um, faith and hope are somehow, you know, cop outs or the faith and hope are somehow, you know, a sign of a weak mind because you haven't been, you know, sufficiently educated. Think about that the next time you pull out your debit card. Think about that the next time you even pull out a $20 bill um, to pay for something because our entire financial system is based on faith and hope in one form or another. It is not unreasonable, therefore, to have faith and hope in God. So, Again, I am Father Fred Gatchi. You've been listening to the Double-Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, 101.7 KJDM Lindenburg Salina, 105.7 KMDG Hayes, and our flagship station, 88.1 KVDM Hayes. At this point, I always like to invite people to visit our website at dv, that's v as in Victor, dvmercy.com, where you can find our scheduling for the other programs that we have on all the radio stations. If there's a certain program that you're looking for, I mean, you can also donate. That's very important because we're always needing donations to keep these Catholic airwaves going. Um, you can also find um, archived installments of the Double-Edged Sword program, as well as the One Body program. I think that um, if you look around the country, there's probably not a whole lot of other radio stations like our Divine Mercy radio stations, which have in-house produced programs. And um, we have two pro programs produced in-house, um, the Double-Edged Sword program and the One Body program. And so both of there, there are archived installments of both of those programs, which you can listen to online. Um, you can also call the station at 621-4110, 781 um talk to someone at the station if you have an idea for a future installment of Double-Edged Sword. If you have a question that you'd like to answer it on the air, you know, feel free to call us up and ask us about that. And um, we will see if we can't um, answer that question for you, maybe even turn it into a whole program. So again, thanks for tuning in to the Double-Edged Sword program here on Divine Mercy Radio. And again, I will just you know, read off our stations again. Um, we are 88.1 KRTT Great Bend. 101.7 KJDM Lindsberg Salina, 105.7 KMDG Hayes, and 88.1 KVDM Hayes, which was our original station that was began some you know many years ago, and um, has branched out into these other stations as well, and with which we are glad to be able to come to you and um, bring you these, this, this great Catholic programming. So again, I am Father Fred Gatchett. I'm the Rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas, the Vicar General for the Diocese of Salina, part-time religion teacher at Sacred Heart High School here in Salina. And thank you again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye and God bless. <music>